You're listening to a very special episode of the Sleep Whisperer podcast. Dr. Manveer Bhatia is a senior neurologist and sleep specialist with over 25 years of experience. She's the director of the Neurology Sleep Center New Delhi. She's currently the vice president of the Indian Society of Sleep Research and the author of the book Sleep Solutions. India's first non-fiction book on sleep. Recently she has been awarded with Indira Gandhi Mahila Ratan Award and also awarded by the American Association of Physicians of Indian Origin at Boston for extraordinary contribution in sleep medicine for the year 2017. She has conducted awareness programs on sleep disorders celebrated World Sleep Day for over 10 years. In a world where we tend to ignore forgetfulness and brain fog, can these general symptoms of memory be clues towards something deeper? What is memory and how does it differ in short term and long term? How does memory impact your life? Why must we not ignore challenges with memory? This is all that we discuss in this episode. We're in a global crisis with COVID-19. If you've lost someone close to you in this past year, my heart goes out to you. The coronavirus and the pandemic have increased sleep challenges several times over due to the high state of stress and anxiety amidst all of us. If there is one thing that it shows us, it is that we're all the same within and that we must come together in as many ways as possible we also brought focus to sleep in our podcast as these unprecedented times have shifted the balance in our very ecosystems if there is a way that you can have us support you in terms of specific guests or topics that you'd like to send me a note on deepadfightothrive.com and I'll do my very best to bring it to you. Let's hold a few seconds of silence in prayer for all the lost souls through COVID-19. to the sleep whisperer podcast i'm your host deepa join me and my many expert guests and medical professionals from the cutting edge science of functional medicine of the west and ancient wisdom of the east learn all about how to discover your root causes of poor sleep and understand the proper tools and techniques to end your confusion and begin getting a good night's sleep it's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey with the sleep whisperer podcast dr 
Dr. Bhatia, such a pleasure to have you on the Sleep Whisperer podcast and I know I've been wanting you ever since I came across you quite a while ago and we've been having these informal discussions before the actual episode. Um, and uh, neurology is a fascinating field. I think we really need a whole lot more people like you out there, not just, and you have a special focus on sleep as well. Um, but what brought you to neurology? Why neurology? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, thank you, Deepa. And I've also been uh, following your podcasts and uh, amazing that you start with a simple point, but go right in and a lot of depth. Uh, so they have been very educative and informative, if I may say. What got me to neurology, actually, when people ask these questions, I think sometimes that gives you a lot of time to not really so deeply about it. Training, um, there was a time in between that, you know, I started my family and had a little break in the career, etc. but then decided to go back to education. Um, so in medicine, if I look at all the fields, you know, gastroenterology, cardiology, I did a lot of work with cancer, which was, mm. I found depressing. So for that, I just needed to get out immediately. Uh, nephrology, etc. I think the brain just became, or the nervous system was a very fascinating uh, topic, uh, a field. And out of all those fields, when I really got into it, let's say back in late 80s, there was not so much known about it. Imaging had just come up. Functional imaging was really not there. So it, it was a very, very big mystery. And I think if I um, now understand myself a better, I do have a very strong uh, lean or tendency for an inquisitive mind to understand deeply about things. And this was like a Pandora's box, which I don't think we knew much about the nervous system at all. And um, I know you have an inquisitive mind, doctor, because even with the little podcast discussions that we have, you have so many more questions to add about everything. Uh, and it's always nice to get fresh insight from anything that we talk about. Um, but I know that a lot of people today, just all of us, in fact, we have some sort of, uh, we're talking about memory and sleep, but we all struggle with some simple forms of challenges like forgetting our keys, brain fog, inability to focus. Uh, and I know a lot of people just ignore it and just put it down to this is how I am. But do simple symptoms like this actually point towards something going on in terms of, I don't know, inflammation or deficiency, nutrient deficiencies for brain health, uh, anything? Are these signs of something deeper? Should we be digging deeper if we have these very often? So I think uh, you're right. All of us now are going through this phase of forgetfulness for minor things. Now, what are these minor things? How much do they disturb you? How often do they occur? 
how much does it affect your day-to-day -day life and your productivity? So I think that's what we need to keep in mind. Um, do we forget names once in a while? And then if you just kind of concentrate, does it come back? Then possibly we do know, uh, and then we'll come back to it a little bit later, that this recall process is very complicated. Mm. And it requires like a full machinery coming, turning on in the brain and very quick, like in microseconds, it has to be, the response has to happen. So it's something called as a processing. It's like a computer turns on and a processor starts off. Mm. Um, so that processing, uh, I had a conversation with a very senior cognitive neuroscientist and you know, I was asking him the same question and he said the processor becomes a little slow mm. as we are aging. Uh, and the aging, you know, for the nervous system starts, you know, very early. Um, that's one part. And I think the other thing that we need to understand is, so what is it that can slow down the processing further? And what is it that can help to speed up the processing? Right. So coming back to your question that should it bother us or not? It all depends on the enormity of the situation, how often, how many things in a day, how mm -hmm. often, like if I'm going to do my work or if I'm talking to you and I forget what I'm going to say, mm. that's, that's is alarming. Uh, but yes, if a person I've met about five years ago and I come across them and I can't remember their name, maybe I should not get too disturbed about it. Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful way that you broke it down. And I know doctor that uh, when I've had some night of terrible sleep for some reason, I actually do this, what you mentioned, I'll be speaking to somebody and I forget what was I going to say. Uh, and I suppose in that case, if it's occasional, it's not alarming. But then there are also uh, the challenges that people face because they're struggling with recurrent poor sleep. And then that can also impact brain health so negatively, which is why I love the fact that you have focus on both neurology and sleep science. But what exactly is memory? Now, when we say memory, what is it? Yeah, so I uh, think in simple way to put it uh, is that memory is what makes each one of us. Mm. Uh, so if we were to look at our bank uh, that we have in our brain, um, all our past and present, and it's what makes each one of us unique in a way. Mm. So your memories and my memories are very different. So it's a process, in other, scientifically, it's a process. Um, that there is a numerous steps involved. And that is why over the years, it has got into a lot of subdivisions, uh, categorization on different types. So one simple way to say is short-term memory and long-term memory or recent memory and remote memory. Uh, but what happens in a memory? You know, So if we were to think a little bit and go close your eyes for a few seconds, Think of an experience that kind of brings a smile to your face. Mm. So that experience is all unique to us. Uh, it could be a vacation. Now, when you go a little deeper, where was it? What was the, what did your eyes see at that moment? Did you smell something? Who were you with your companions? What was the emotion that you had that brought a smile? So that we say it's a memory, but you see how complex it is. 
it's broken up into numerous sensations so these sensations are what we feel they go into one area of the brain which is more like the thalamus from there they travel into the other area of the brain which is the temporal lobes and from there they kind of get further enhanced or stored in different areas and once that circuits kind of keep on going on and on they get reinforced so example of that is um, that if you keep looking at the pictures of that event or your vacation that somehow does what is called as a potentiation more and more fibers join together and the circuit becomes stronger and stronger it's it's the term which is used often is that those which fire together wire together so we make it strong memory and that's how things stick then when we so it is a input there is a storage and there is a further storage into a hard disk and then when we are asked to talk about it we retrieve or what is called as a recall mm. it's a very complex process so that's a long term short term is that you know what did i have for breakfast today can i remember what day of the week how did i what did i do in the morning etc so people can have issues with long term or with short term they can have issues with receiving information i had a patient uh, just yesterday the son said that you know i said tell her something in the first floor by the time she comes to the ground floor she's forgotten what was said mm. or, you know they eat a meal worst scenario they can't remember what they whether they've eaten then they want to eat again mm. so there are uh, huge big dimensions of of this problem that can happen so memory is in simple words short term recent remote and different mechanisms um, are in place we also can divide memory into things like facts and so what is it that we remember and how we do things so those are something called as the semantic and procedural but basically like if you drive learn how to drive a bicycle you learn how to drive a car or you learn swimming so those are things that are learned as tasks so those are different areas of the brain and Versus, can you ever forget those doctor those kind of so those skills? usually stick for much longer mm. but versus this what you said we remember forget a you know a name so somebody said what year did india get independence who was a first prime minister so those are facts so facts sometimes one forgets earlier i just yesterday met a friend she said her daughter played golf after about 15 years but was still able to do it well mm. or somebody can play so some some patients have forgotten everything but they can play like a musical instrument so those are tasks which are at a different center so brain um, is still now i think a very complex process yes. so we don't have individual another concept which has come over the years is the networks is that there is no one area everything works together to produce this whole picture and that's how then we can uh, recall 
Oh, that's beautiful because typically you keep hearing science about each part of the brain and okay. what you're talking about is something like the functional medicine approach of how yeah. systems are connected. And similarly, you're saying they are not in isolation, even in the brain and everything is but what was really I took from that was you mentioned that someone can forget that they ate and then therefore they eat again. I mean, these kind of things can be impactful in other areas if these simple memories are confused or forgotten. And I also wanted to ask you quickly before we move on uh, that I found so often that people hold on to traumatic memories and adverse memories um, and then it's much harder for them to let go of that, even though those are not memories that help or serve you in any way. And sometimes the better memories actually don't seem to be there. So is there a reason why traumatic yeah. memories last? So you're very right. Uh, so if you were given a task to remember the worst part of that you ever can remember, you recall me much faster. Mm. Something which upset you or which was terrible. And sometimes when you are asked that remember the best part of that you can think about in your life that happened, you'll take much longer. Yes. So this is a well-known process. I mean, in psychology, it is known that the brain is wired to think and remember the negatives. Uh, so it's actually a greater task and a harder effort to keep thinking of the positive. So it's a natural, inherent process that the negatives stick much longer. Uh, so yes, uh, you're right. And this is somehow it's sad, but that's how it is. And that's all the more reason we need to make an effort to remember the positives. So how exactly, doctor, I would like to spend few minutes here because see, there's so many people struggling with sleep because of traumatic experiences, abuse, so many things. And is there, now that you've said that there is a science that we actually have trouble getting rid of those more than uh, the positive ones, is there certain tools that we can use? I know you're speaking about positivity, but some uh, actual practices where we can let go of these trauma or adverse. Just, uh, yeah, that's wonderful. I'm just going to go a little back to sure. uh, share with you. What is it that happens in the brain during sleep only for the memory process? So I'm not talking about sleep for the cardiovascular system, okay. the gastrointestinal, nothing. Yes, we talk yes. only what is happening, which is important and relevant to the memory. Um, so it is a very beautiful analogy that I read that imagine it's like, uh, suppose it's like a garden, which is full of flowers, but there will be weeds which will be growing. So which is some junk which accumulates in the brain. Uh, and that needs to be taken out. So in very simple terms, that is what happens in sleep or during sleep. Mm. So how it happens is, I just want to make people understand so that everybody takes home this message, the value of good sleep. Uh, because even now I get people who say that, Sleep, I think, is a waste of time. I think I should sleep only five hours. Yesterday, I saw a person who said 
he's wanting to sleep only five hours because beyond that he feels it's not required and it's and he's not productive so that's a separate story so what happens to the brain is that it's flushed with a fluid kind of at night so the brain is encased or coated with this fluid which is called a cerebrospinal fluid but very interesting in the last few decades it's been seen that this fluid kind of gushes in at night almost double or almost three times the the flow with your then during the day and it removes the junk or the hot, the bad proteins which can accumulate so in patients with alzheimer's dementia we have accumulation of a substance called as amyloid mm. and this amyloid is a junk which needs to be cleared repeatedly so in sleep or while we are sleeping this amyloid gets cleared off in a natural process so over the years if you cut your sleep because of any reason whether it is sleep apnea or insomnia or just habitual lifestyle you will allow amyloid to accumulate mm. when it accumulates it will damage the brain so that's a very uh, good research in the last few years numerous papers have come on this they have shown that even one night of a poor sleep can cause changes in your brain proteins so in other words uh, at any age if you restrict your sleep you will allow these proteins to accumulate and that is a junk so that is one part of the memory uh, reinforcement or which can happen in sleep second is that there is dur- during slow wave sleep these memories which we were talking about which we receive information it's been seen that they get stored and consolidated mm. so there is what is called as a it's the other word people use is like cementing so you whitewash something but if you kind of just don't cement it properly so that consolidation has to happen so those children who stay awake the whole night or people who are working stay awake the whole night and morning they go for a meeting or an exam and feel i am not able to produce something the brain is gone blank it's because nothing got consolidated you just kept reading and reading so consolidation weeding out the junk and the third is the emotional attachment to the memory Mm. so we have some like you said uh, everybody goes through some events or something and you have a emotion attached to it that needs to be regulated and needs to be dealt with and that happens during rem sleep so if that doesn't is not good in quantity and quality that will always remain as a uh, sitting sore you know in our system and we will always be able to recall with a very bad input so different areas um, like the amygdala is the one which is for anger and emotion so it's been seen that lack of sleep this this little structure is very active all the time so it makes people very irritable very angry so that's a separate thing about emotions but generally so the memory uh, let's say in a good during a good night different stages of the sleep stage 2 slow wave rem all have very important um, 
foundations for storage, removal of junk, and dealing with emotions. Mm. And uh, doctor, just tell me quickly whether is it, uh, I know you spoke about night. Do you feel that if somebody says I'm a night owl, I need to work all night and I sleep all day, do you feel that if they're consistently doing that, even um, uh, if they're getting good sleep during the day, is there a difference in how this plays uh, out? Very important question because I think a large proportion of the generation wants to do this. Yes. Some are inherently by a, by a genetic uh, predisposition, a night owl or a morning lark. But some of us have made ourselves into night owls. Mm by just our lifestyle. Yes. So, uh, I mean, that's another one point. Uh, but what you have brought out is what the recent uh, research has shown. So this process of clearing uh, the brain or a garbage cleaning at night is with a system called as a G lymphatic system. Mm. So it's been seen that this G lymphatic system is very much linked with the circadian system. So mm. in short, uh, we do need the night sleep to remove the junk. We don't, the day sleep will not remove the junk. So you think you are catching up on sleep. Yes. But that catch up sleep is never equivalent to the night sleep because there are a lot of other things which happen at night. Uh, you know, just, it's not just the sleep and sleep. It's a lot of other hormones, etc., which need to peak at night, which improve or take care of your health on the whole. I'm so happy that you said that, doctor, because I ask so many people this and sometimes they do say it's fine as long as they get enough sleep. But I personally have believed that this night sleep is very different. Yeah, so I'm so happy to hear you. Uh, so could you share a little bit about what are some tools we can use to help us get past adverse memories, traumatic memories? So uh, what are the things which can help uh, the memory process as such? Uh, so it's not, so one of course, because I'm talking about sleep. Um, so ensure healthy sleep. Mm. So there is this big uh, discussions these days about what is healthy sleep. In just two lines, I will say it is the quantity quality and timing of sleep. It has three dimensions. Quantity is related to your age. Now, we all have seen children. They might require, newborns will require maybe 18 hours of sleep, 20 mm. hours of sleep. Toddlers require about 10, 11, 12 hours and so on. And let's say an average adult needs somewhere between seven to eight and a half. It's a range. So find your sweet spot as they say. Mm. So healthy sleep. Uh, quality means that we get adequate amount of time in light sleep, deep sleep, REM sleep, etc. Timing is as far as possible. Stick to the timings with the sunlight and the sunset. But of course, we know with the light what we, what we can do. Um, the other thing is exercise. So good exercise has been shown to be one of the major factors where uh, this brain plasticity can improve. That means mm. you can improve your network. You can improve your synapses. So that's the exercise. The third, which you know people do read a lot about is um, challenging your brain. 
so like you do muscle building people are all into muscle building so can we improve brain power as to so as to say uh, so do something new do something challenging so age is no bar keep trying to learn something is it a language is it a skill whatever you will put more of your brain reserve into the circulation into the synapses and you will gain much more so challenge your brain then comes nutrition mm-hmm. so good food now similar like we take say good sleep so what is good food it has to be well balanced do not do eliminations do not do strict restrictions without proper guidance yes especially self imposed you know that i think i will not eat carbohydrates i think yes. i will not eat gluten i will not eat non veg i will not eat um have milk products so if it's required but with a consultant yes so there's simple things that so basically living uh, a productive life uh, and other thing is about stress and emotions uh it's been seen that stress uh can hamper the connectivity produces a lot of toxic chemicals in your body which can impair memory and depression so depression in fact um, interferes with the memory so much that we have a term which is called as pseudodementia that means it they can almost this fog is so bad they cannot recall they cannot remember it is just shut down their brain system so be happy uh do your self compassion compassion for the others all these little things will go a long way uh to improve you as a person and your memory and in fact doctor when you spoke about exercise my mind instantly went to that fact that i'm i spend about 10 to 15 minutes a day of my exercise upside down in headstand and handstand and uh, i That's think this yes i think i feel so revived and in fact if after a night of poor sleep if you've had something which is prevented not daily bad sleep um just um, a session of upside down can make you feel as if you recharged yourself and you feel more mental clarity uh, so it's interesting you mentioned that and it's very important i think you made a very valid point about the self restrictive diets because most of those diets which you spoke about of someone removing animal protein or gluten or dairy uh sometimes a practitioner may have a reason for doing that but they usually uh, advise short term as a way to get the body um into a state of balance and they themselves can create efficiencies if you yeah. pull out large groups of foods yeah, so, so that brain is- a lot of energy you know yes. so it needs a lot of glucose for it to function we need some b12 for the lining system so a lot of things are needed so we we have to be clear and that we do not harm ourselves yes uh, and i'm so glad to hear you say that doctor also because i come across so many people who say they've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder or depression Uh, but they've never been checked for b12 deficiency or something like that and in before doing that they prescribe strong medication which can then put them into other challenges so 
I think um, it's great to hear a long a renowned neurologist speak into these aspects of how nutrients also matter. Um, so in, in terms of sleep and memory, I know you spoke a lot already about how not having proper sleep impacts memory formation. Uh, is, there, is there any area between sleep and memory that we missed? Yeah, so I think we just didn't talk about uh, the disorders. Um, so we have a common disorder called obstructive sleep apnea. Yes. In which the feature is snoring and sleepiness during the day. Mm -hmm. uh, these people have what is called as fragmented sleep. Uh, so this fragmented sleep interferes with their memory. So they mm. come forward and complain of forgetfulness, which can come in 30s, 40s, 50s. And because we are now able to do a imaging to a very enhanced extent, uh, we have seen that their areas of the brain involved with memory are kind of little shrinking. So we have now definite proof that certain sleep disorders because of poor sleep will affect memory. Mm. But the reversibility, we are still going through that. Other feature is insomnia, which is very highly prevalent, has tripled the prevalence during this pandemic. Um, and number of sleeping pills um, have uh, been prescribed has gone up by about five or 10 times by all countries. So insomnia is poor sleep. In short, sleep is not adequate and has data and consequences. These people also will start complaining about memory problems. So there's mm. a strong link. Then we have disorders which are pure memory disorders, you know, like different types of dementias, etc. They also have memory problems. So the, the disorders are very uh, closely linked. So what is the cause and effect? We don't know. Are the associations very strong? And we do know the pathogenesis. So just to again reinforce uh, that over the, our lifespan, uh, we do need to ensure um, that we take care of these measures because we do not, then once you land up with dementia, it's very hard for things to go backwards. Yes. Yes. So prevention is much more important than cure. So if somebody was struggling with sleep, poor sleep and memory, not able to let go of trauma, what would you actually begin with for them? We have these uh, few basic rules, you know, but we also now realize the lacunae or the deficiency of these basic rules because we talk about something called as a personalized medicine. So not each rule apply can be applicable to everybody. But more or less, they kind of have these guidelines, which are simple to follow. One is a fixed bedtime and a wake up time. Don't fluctuate it so much. In fact, some recent uh, research has come that people who fluctuate this um, impact the different stages of their sleep and will have an impact on their cognitive function. So fixed bedtime, wake up time, irrespective of weekdays and weekends. Yes. I'm seeing a few children these days and who say, how can you tell us to live our life like this? This is a life to party that I sleep at 5 a.m. once in a week. So why should it be bad? 
So then I say you choose. Now you choose what you want. You want to party till late, or do you want to be miserable in the day? So a fixed bedtime, wake up time. Uh, caffeine has become part of our lives. Some people are actually taking it to get over a bad night. Yes, couple of cups to the day. Uh, then there are not only caffeine; there are energy drinks. People are having all sorts of energy drinks to feel pepped up. But I tell them that if you just get good sleep, you will be pepped up and energetic. So avoid the caffeine and the energy drinks. So caffeine, if it's really required, morning one is okay, but nothing after twelve noon. A regular exercise. We talked about the benefits of exercise. Mm. Also consolidates memory, consolidates good sleep, improves synapses, etc. But no late night gyms. See, the problem is when we say these words like exercise, people are, you know, working out, doing extensive cardio, etc. At about ten p.m., eleven p.m. Yes. So that will interfere with your night. Yeah. So these are the some things, and the last most important is. Uh, what is it that you do last before bed and that's what we call as a pre bedtime routine so people have over the years understood a lot about the morning routine that this time i should wake up this time i should do this and you know one hour to my exercise 15 minutes to myself blah 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 etc mm. so we have to now get into the habit of developing a pre bedtime routine meaning say buy it to your gadgets and yes escort mm. them out of the room say good night switch them off at a fixed certain time if you want a hot shower you have a hot shower that helps in sleep um anything else that you like to do you can have people have chamomile tea for if your milk suits you whatever something like a outside food product which can induce a good quality sleep Uh, do some relaxing activity reading um, some deep breathing and then have a time that you kind of wind down and put off the lights i've started seeing a lot of patients with a lot of thoughts that they're not able to break the thought so we call that the, it's a racing mind they can't yeah. for that it's like actually a separate um, thing we need to get into but a simple thing could be journaling Yes. So fix a time somewhere in the evening, seven, eight, nine p.m. Sit down on a table, pencil and paper, pen and paper, and just write things down. So will it act immediately today if I do it? Will today it'll work? No. It'll work over a period of time and make it a habit. So habits are another thing that different parts of the brain are involved in habit forming. Mm. So once it becomes a habit. then that memory gets converted into a habit you know so that's what we all have to work on that for every little thing that we do when you make it a habit it will start becoming a part of you so that's all in short i think that fixed time of bed time caffeine to be avoided regular exercise screen times uh, no naps post 3 pm adequate sunlight in the day and a good relaxing pre bedtime routine whatever suits you choose your own routine 
Beautiful, Doctor. And what I really appreciate that you spoke about the late night gyms, which no one really talks about. And those gyms are also, they've got these very bright white lights, fluorescent lights and loud music, Mm -hmm. everything that is uh, in what is called activating and stimulating and... Uh, no, I am so glad you brought that up because so many people do that actually. Um, and um, it is also really wonderful to see that you're integrating so many approaches into your neurological practice. So it's not just a route of medication. It's you're bringing people back to the awareness, mindfulness, simple coming back and we spoke about bedtime routine um when we were children there was always the routine of going to bed being tucked in having a story to read and i really think even as adults we should have some of these yeah uh, where we look forward to you know settling into our bed and is there anything that we miss, doctor? Because we, you've actually given us so much information. No, I think, uh, just uh, the word that stimulation, uh, you know, that's what the sympathetic system does to us. That's what anxiety does, that we are in yes. this flight or fright mode. We are charged. So yes, uh, it is required for us to feel, get this push and try and do things. But towards the night, we need to activate our parasympathetic system. Um, that can also be done with some pranayam, with mm. some yogic techniques. Those, there's enough literature, science, um, mindfulness, meditation, whatever, that we activate our parasympathetic system, in which the heart rate will slow down, uh, the brain activity will start slowing down, and sleep onset is better, and sleep continuity is better. So when we kind of measure sleep or talk about sleep, we say, how soon are you able to fall asleep when you lie in bed? And how many awakenings you have in the night? That means how disturbed is it? And you wake up, you need about three alarms. I have people who are putting three, three, four, four alarms. (laughs) Or you just wake up before the alarm. Mm. So people often ask a question, actually. So what is good sleep? So that sleep, which is adequate in duration, when you wake up without an alarm and you feel yes. energetic and go to be on ready to go for the move. That's what I say is good sleep. And also though, sadly, doctor, that sometimes uh, people are in jobs where uh, early I had a job where I would have to leave my house at four in the morning. Yeah. So, you know, I wouldn't wake up when my body naturally yes. wanted me to. And I think if we have the opportunity and nothing like that to prevent it, we should all allow our body to just wake yeah. up when it normally right. does. I think that that's true. I mean, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who have to do or say cut down the sleep because of work, you know, Uh, you may be driving two hours, you're coming back two hours, where's the time for exercise, etc. Yeah, it's very hard. It's very hard to make everything work together. But you know, we need to figure out what is it that one can do best. Sometimes here people say that should I shift closer to my place of work because they're traveling four hours. Mm. And the other day then somebody I said, yes, you know, you might have to, or you because it's affecting your health now. 
Yes. Uh, there's no point we work and it affects us. You know, what are we working for is to look after ourselves in a way. Um, so that's that's a decision. It's a big decision. They are tough decisions. But with in the space of whatever we can do, we should try and put things right. Like if you can switch off the Netflix at night or the video streams at night, try and do it at a certain fixed hours. You know, that's a separate thing that people are not able to switch off. They can't cut that. And before you know it, you've crossed midnight. Yes. And I think also when they are so sympathetically dominant, they feel like being awake and do, do, do. They feel like they can't, uh, they can't just be. They, for them, everything has to be do. So yeah. sometimes people say, I can't sit still. I have to do something. Over the years, we've lost that art of sitting still. Yes, yes. And I learned so much from you today, doctor, especially you clarified to me the difference between traumatic memories and happy memories so that people won't actually feel so bad as to why are they not able to release those memories. Because yeah. sometimes people feel very troubled that why am I not able to forget about that so that was something which you really brought out today and lots of very practical tips and more than anything I want to appreciate seeing you as a neurologist practice with so many other forms of intervention apart from just a medicine or uh, which is really very reassuring to hear um, before I let you go, doctor, I'd like you to conclude our sleep whisperer mantra. If sleep is the new medicine, then how would you complete it for us? I think everybody should be given it as an capsule, and it is a panacea, according to me. Yes. Um, it forms the basic foundation of health, you know. So we need to appreciate it, and I admire you for taking out time uh, to introduce this podcasts in such a manner that it reaches more people um, and we move towards uh, a healthier and a happier world with good sleep as a background. Thank you, Dr. Bhatia. Where can people go if they want to get more information about what you speak about, your articles? Uh, so I we have a website, which is neurologysleepcenter.com. Uh, email is info at neurologysleepcenter.com. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel in which I post and record most of the questions which are often asked by patients that we kind of, you know, give their answers. Uh, we are also on Instagram and we are also on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter as Neurology Sleep Center. Wonderful, doctor. And I'm sure if anyone has all these challenges we spoke about, memory, letting go of trauma, poor sleep, they must all reach out to you and get some help. Thank you for being here today. It was a pleasure having you. I hope we can have you back one day to speak about emotions and sleep because you gave me some little clues and now I'm already fascinated by it. Thank you again, Deepa. Wonderful talking to you and uh, I shall look forward to listening to more of your podcasts again. Thank you so much. Hey.
Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed the show. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. This is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a medical practitioner. Please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with your doctor or otherwise qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice as a substitute for medical counseling or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition. Be sure to always work directly with a qualified health practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding. If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com or www.sleepwhisperer.pro. It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care, especially when it comes to chronic health conditions.